Uh, today is what you see uh, not guilty part two, but don't worry if you miss part one. First of all, it's online. Second, uh, you, we can bring you up to speed, and I think you'll be fine uh, as this kind of follows up. It's not like you've missed some main important thing uh, that from today. And also, next Sunday will be set free from sickness as we look at that and take communion together as well as give the opportunity for those who want to be uh, prayed for and anointed as it says in James chapter 5. So just kind of giving you the heads up about that, uh, reminding you uh, to be prepared and be ready. Romans 8, let's look at that together. Romans chapter 8, we're back in this. We're going to cover some of the past uh, verses that we didn't cover last time. Uh, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God and does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's pray together. Last, last week, Father, we gathered before you and heard that we're not guilty for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray today that you would help us to solidify that in our hearts and minds for those who may even be new here this morning to understand this freedom that we have from condemnation. 
this freedom that we can have, that you offer to us. Lord, I pray that today, while we may have heard it before, we would receive it fully and completely. Help me to speak your words. But Lord, I pray that you would go beyond anything I could possibly say, that it would not just be anointing upon me, it would be anointing upon each and every one here, that you, Holy Spirit, would break through, that you would speak, that you would move, that you would change that we would be set free. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the worship to express to you our love. And now, we thank you for the word as you express your love to us in this. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Last week we looked at Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Remember, we had a whole courtroom scene. And in the end of that courtroom scene, we were declared that we were not guilty. There were a couple of people who joined us. In fact, uh, Kirby, you still free? Okay. Free indeed. Free indeed. Uh, yes. Amen. Okay. So, you had uh, a couple people on each side. Uh, with us as we think about what was what was going on. The, basically, it focused on that first verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we walked away from this courtroom kind of scene where we realized that we have been declared not guilty. Right? We're with, you're with me. Now, here's the thing, though. In part two, we got to deal with real life. I mean, that is real. We were declared not guilty, but we have to deal with the real question that is upon at least some people's hearts and minds. We ask, I know the fact, but if I'm not guilty, then why do I still feel guilty? I guarantee you that there are some of you here who says, I know that's what the truth was, I know, and and I saw it last week, but I still feel guilty. I I still am not 100% 100 sure that I am a part of God's family, that I'm going to heaven. There's a number of reasons for this, a number of reasons of why we would answer that uh, question how we're going to do it this morning is look at a different kind of analogy necessarily. We'll still kind of talk about the courtroom scene, but there's a different way to look at it. We're going to use another old-fashioned analogy. Oh, you know what it is, right? Devil on one shoulder, angel on the other, okay? You kind of got that whole analogy going back. You got the red and white costumes that we used last week. You see that the reason that one of the reasons that many times we still feel guilty has more to do with what voices we are listening to than what's really going on when what's reality. It's who are we listening to? What are we listening to? Today we need to make a decision to change who we've been listening to so that we can hear God's voice 
and God alone say you are not guilty. We need to hear his voice. And one of the ways we do that is to stop listening to the voice of the devil on our shoulder. Stop listening to the voice of the devil. Actually, that's what got us on trial to begin with, right? Not just us, but go all the way back to the beginning. What got us on trial with God was that Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the devil. Now, just like Adam and Eve, you got to think about it. They were responsible for their sin. Yes, it was the voice of the devil, but they were responsible for their sin. Just as we are responsible for our sin. And sometimes it's not so much Satan on our shoulder that's telling us to do a particular thing, but our own self, our own flesh inside of us is telling us. But nonetheless, Satan is more than willing to jump on board with lies and half-truths, mixing up and twisting the Word of God, including about whether we are under condemnation. He will try to pervert our perception, not only of what God said, but get this, he will try to pervert our perception of who God is and what he whispers to us. And this is what messes us up. And it's thinking that we've been set free from condemnation. It is hard to believe we've been set free from condemnation when we are listening to the lies of the devil on the shoulder telling us who he thinks we should think God is. It is so much easier to feel under condemnation when we buy the lie that God is this stern, angry, perfectionistic, vengeful judge that can't wait to knock you into next week. When I tell you to jump... You jump and ask how high on the way up. How'd that go with the speakers? You know, right? You know, but this is this picture that sometimes, even though we may know different, it's a voice that we're hearing. And so what we start to believe, this whole creating this overwhelming fear of God, that's what the devil wants to do, is create, create in us an overwhelming fear of God that will make us keep our distance from him. Instead of recognizing that he is a holy God of perfect love that can cast out all fear. In fact, that's what he talks about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Let's put it into context what we're talking about this morning as we think about this. The judge, what the devil wants us to do is to think that the judge who declared us not guilty last week, this judge who declared us not guilty is a mean vindictive, bring-the-hammer-down kind of judge who had no choice but to let us off on a technicality despite his better judgment. He says, okay, you're free. You're not guilty. Okay. Somehow... We got out of that hearing with God with a second chance. Somehow, the devil wants to, what you think, is you got out of there with a second chance. So, we have this voice saying, you better be good. You better make good. You better be good. You better live the perfect life. Even though some of us recognize there's no way that we're going to be perfect, uh, we just need to live good enough life so that we stay off of the radar of the judge. And but the problem is we're not exactly sure how good is it that we have to be so we stay off God's radar so he doesn't come down and smack us over the head and condemn us and what do we need to do what is good enough 
And because we're not sure about that, there is this constant sense that we are always looking over our shoulder for the God squad to come and arrest us and put us back in prison. We're always living with that sense of condemnation. Maybe not the strong sense, but a a sense of a condemnation. Because after all, I'm out on parole from God and what I did and everything. I'm out on parole and I better just keep my nose clean because if I mess up again, you know what happens? Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, right? We know what happens if we don't keep the line. We're going to end up back before that judge. This judge that the devil is trying to whisper is that judge that you're going to show up to. And and when you show up to this judge because you messed up and you get back there, he's going to throw the book at you this time. I mean, you got off barely last time. But now when you come back before the judge, you're going to have to pay for not only that sin that you just did, but everything else that you just did. All that was put in the whole record book, the record of your sin and everything that you had, you're going to have to pay for all of it now. It's kind of like, all right, we let you slide the last time. Now you've messed up. Not just this one, but all of it. You're back on death row. You had your one chance. That's it. Too bad. Who are we listening to? Can can we hear that what I've just been saying is not the voice of God? Can we hear that? Not the voice of God who said, I forgive you, that he forgives us of our past sins, which means, as Micah 7, 19 says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. God, our judge, God, buried our sins in the depths of the sea, not in a shallow grave so he could dig them up later and use them against us. We cannot be charged or convicted of crimes that we have already been declared innocent of. Jesus already paid the punishment for those sins. You will not be asked to pay for them when He already did. We need to be listening to the voice of God and to hear Him say such thing as Hebrews 8, 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my sake and will remember your, not remember your sins. Micah 7, 18, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in unchanging love. Now there's a word that's used there in Micah that's important for us to say. It says at the very beginning, who is a God like you who pardons? You see, here's the truth. Here's the truth that we don't get. Here's the truth that even in our churches, sometimes because we're so concerned about what people and how they're acting and what's going on, that we are not getting clear. 
Here is a truth that we are missing out, which is putting us under condemnation, not that God wants, a condemnation that God does not want. Here is the truth. We have been pardoned, not paroled. Are you with me? We have been pardoned, not paroled. You are not out on parole, and then you have to watch your P's and Q's, and you better not mess up, and you better not do anything, and you're back in there. No. We have been pardoned. Not paroled. The slate is wiped clean. There, there is no more that needs to be done or nothing that we need to do. We don't need to be worrying about looking over our shoulder or concerned that something's going to happen because you have been pardoned. We are not ex-cons with a record out there because we don't have a record. That's what being pardoned is about. Is that we do not have a record. We have been made new creations. We are children of God. And so this whole idea that, that God is, gives us a second chance, while it sounds good, actually usually lends us to think about parole more than pardon. This whole thought that God gives us a second chance can often lead us more towards condemnation than it is to affirmation of our salvation. Now some people say, well, yeah, that's all good, but not me. I've gone too far. I've done too much. God can't forgive me. I am a lost cause. It can get to the point where they just feel so guilty that what's the point? Who are you listening to when you hear? What voice are you listening to when you hear those kind of things? When those thoughts come, they're not coming from the Spirit of God. They're not coming even from your own self to have those kind of thoughts come only from one place, and that is from Satan. When that demon on your shoulder, that devil on your shoulder, so to speak. Who are you listening to? We listen to the one who is, as Revelation 12, verse 10, we said last week, is the accuser of the brethren, the one who is the prosecuting attorney. That's the condemnation of the devil. That's what he wants to do is to overwhelm us with shame and blame. That we are too broken to forgive and for God to use. But i got to ask, have you read the Bible lately? Think about it. Just think about some of the 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 famous people in the bible think about the heroes of the faith uh hebrews chapter 11 in hebrews chapter 11 there is the faith hall of fame it is hebrews 11 faith hall of fame they're all listed out there people are listed in there like noah abraham jacob moses rahab samson david and all of those could be listed also in the faith hall of shame when you think about their life. They're the Hall of Fame, yeah. But the reality is, as you look at their life and the kind of serious sins and fallout failures in each of them, they were huge. And God not only forgave them, but gave them a main role in His plan. Who are you listening to? What are you listening to? When, when we start 
believing that that voice of the demon on our shoulder, it, it just won't, it won't be long before we really do get to the point, even if we're not there yet, where we are, feel like we are under the condemnation of God, which goes counter to what Romans 8 verse 1 is talking about. It says, therefore, there is now condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? But somebody would say to me, well, Pastor, this is the way I've gone, the things I've done, things said and just messed up, I really feel like the problem is I'm no longer in Christ Jesus. That's what it is. The reason I feel condemnation is not because I don't believe that verse, it's because I actually do believe the verse. And the fact is, I think I am no longer in Christ which is, means that therefore I am under condemnation because as we looked last week, listen, there is condemnation. It is real. It comes from God. There will come judgment. But I have just got to the point where I just have this sense I am no longer in Christ. But are you listening to the voice of the accuser? Because when you were in Christ, when you came to be in Christ, that means you came to be in his family. Romans chapter 8, our passage that we're looking at. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, or Dad, Father. God, when we are in Christ, God becomes our heavenly dad. I want you to think about it for a moment. What good earthly dad would write off their children out of their will because of some bad behavior? What good earthly dad would disown his children and kick them out of the house every time they messed up and did stupid things. We'd all be homeless. Good earthly fathers don't do that. God is way better than any earthly father. If you are in Christ, you are in his family as a good father. He's not kicking you out every time you mess up. Now... He is a good father, which means he will discipline us. He will discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. not going to read that, but that's where it's at. He talks about the discipline. And it says that that discipline at times does not seem pleasant. It's not good sometimes. But it also says in that passage in Hebrews 12 that if you are not disciplined, that could be a pretty good indication that you are not one of his children. So it's a good thing to understand what God wants to do. And there's a difference between God, God's condemnation, God's punishment, and God's discipline. We don't have time to get in this morning, but just think about the word discipline itself. In that word is disciple, a learner. That's what it's about. And that's what God's trying to do in us. Let's go back to our text where we were just reading it. And Romans 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We don't figure out that we are God's children because of we have done everything just right. 
It doesn't say, you know that you're God's children because you've toe the line, because you've done everything right. It says, we know we're God's children. One of the ways we know that is because the Spirit of God testifies within us. It, it, we just know. We know that we are. It is something that has changed, something that is different. When we cross that line and have Jesus come into our life and take over, who are we listening to? Part of the problem, I think, is that we've never truly heard the voice of God tell us we are not guilty. We're not hearing it. That's what he said. And the reason we never really heard it is not because we don't want to, but because we recognize we're sinful, we recognize there is punishment coming. And so all we really wanted was just to hear from God, you don't have to go to hell. Right? I mean, we just went, okay, you're off. <laughs> I'm free. I'm out of here. I'm free. Jesus set me free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't really think about it. It's like we think, oh, man, that, I, I, I got out of that. I, uh, you know, you, you kind of wipe... Wipe the sweat off your brow and say, wow, I dodged a bullet there. But what we don't fully think about is that Jesus took that bullet for us. And we will never have to take a bullet for that. Because he did. We need to stop listening to the voice of the devil on our shoulder. But we also need to... Stop listening to the voice of the good angel on our shoulder. Now, some of you are filling that out and you're thinking, what did he just say? Did he say, stop listening? Stop listening to the voice of the, the good angel on the shoulder? I thought that's the good side. Isn't that, this is the good, this white. Right, you know, this is the good side, the angel and in this is a side we hear the good, positive words on and, and the completely opposite from the demon side uh, that, that's on the devil side on this side. It's, uh, you know, this is the side where we hear good things like, no, just stop a moment. Just wait a minute. Let's think about this. Don't touch that. It, you, you, you shouldn't be doing that or you shouldn't be doing this. Isn't that what the angel usually says, that whole picture of that scene? The angel said, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. The angel on the shoulder is telling you what you need, what are the good things you need to do. You need to do this good. And this is the good. Don't do the bad. Do the good. You need to remember about God. You need to remember He sees you when you're sleeping. He sees you when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because he's coming back and you don't want to tick him off. Right? I mean, this is kind of the message of the good angel over here. And the question is, are these two voices actually on opposite sides? That's the way we see them. That's the way we picture them. Or are they both on the side of the prosecution? Say, well, but, but, but this is a good angel. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. 
Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Could it be this angel on our shoulder, this whispering thoughts to us, seemingly opposite of this, is actually the devil in disguise? I would submit to you today that oftentimes this good angel on our shoulder is not the voice of God. It is the voice of Satan, the voice of self, the voice of your past, the voice of your parents, the voice of your pastor. I don't know. But not God. Romans chapter 8, in fact, as we look at 8, we've talked about 1, but verse 2, verse 2 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. This good angel is the voice of the law of sin and death. You understand, the law is good. It is just. But the law is of sin and death that cannot save us. And when we hear this voice, this constant pressure over here to perform perfection in our life, to live up to the law, do this, don't do this, don't do that. You need to get your act together. You need to keep it together. You better be good. Not necessarily or else. There's not, this, this voice is not trying to bring judgment, so we say. But it says you better be good because then if you're good, you don't have to worry about condemnation anymore. You don't have to worry about feeling guilty. You don't have to worry about feeling bad if you just be good enough. And there is this lie that is really a half-truth, if you will, that we have gotten in a sense, gotten off the hook for our past. God forgave us and, and in a sense, gave us our, our, our ticket to heaven. But now, from this point on, we better keep a hold of that ticket. All right? You didn't get it yourself. God gave it to you. But you better keep a hold of that ticket to heaven. Or else. Yes, God declared us guilty. But now what we do or don't do will determine whether we stay not guilty. Are you with me? God declared us not guilty, but now what we're saying is what we do or what we say, all those things will determine whether we stay not guilty. There's a sense that we have been saved from grace from our past. But now we've got to live by works to keep ourselves out of God's condemnation. And that's something that good angel says. That's something that good churches say to us. What makes us think, I mean, think about it. We cannot earn our salvation by being good enough. Amen? You cannot earn your salvation by being good enough. What makes us think that we can keep our salvation by being good enough? It's not within us. We cannot. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith in this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. For it is my grace you saved. The song we sang early, your grace is enough. We sang that 
right? Even that phrase, we sang it over and over, but do we really believe that? If we're saying, you're grace enough to forgive me of my past, but from this point on, it's got to be me and what I do. Why are we listening to the voices that are saying that our salvation is now based in this way? We've got in by our belief in what Jesus has done, but we stay in based on our behavior and what we do. We realize that's a lie. I'm sure there are churches out there that talk about this and are trying to share this with people. You know, this is what you've got to do. It's a lie. No wonder we still feel guilty. No wonder we still are not sure whether we're under God's condemnation or not because we got in by our belief in what Jesus has done, but the only way we can stay in is based on our behavior and what we do. We're listening to the wrong voices. It's like saying that we were saved from condemnation, declared not guilty, and God has given us another chance now. Here's the deal. God's given you another chance, this is the lie, to live the way we were supposed to before. You got another chance to live up to what the law was saying. Hello? How did it go the first time for us that way? How how did that work out? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Do you hear that's exactly what I'm talking about right now? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it was really for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and His work work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How about what he did? Basically, we've got this voice saying that for us to keep our salvation, to not be under condemnation in the future, we've got to earn it by our righteous behavior. Galatians chapter 5, a little later, verse 7 says, What happened? You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who stopped you from where you were going? You had this. You were saved by grace. What's going on? What's going on is we start listening to those voices that we should continue to live in an effort to try to keep our head above water from drowning in God's condemnation. And yet it says that we've been set free from the law of sin and death, a law that was good, that was just. But it was one that just could not do it. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 8. For what the law was powerless to do. And that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son. The law was powerless. It is still powerless. Nothing has changed. It is powerless to save us. It is powerless to keep us from condemnation. There is nothing we can do. In that it is impossible to set us free. I want to show a, a video. It's got about five minutes. So, a, a spoken word. 
It's called if, and it really fits with this verse, with this what's saying, putting it in a different way for us to really think this through. And then we'll come back and continue on. There's still some more of, the, obviously, this message and the listening to these voices, but let's see if this works. If, if I, this is the condition, the why, the question mark over each of our lives. If, if I, if I am good enough, if I don't mess up too much, if I go to the right church, if I prove to God my worth, if I pray before I eat, if I read scripture before I sleep, if I do enough good works, if I share the gospel with those who search, if I always give it my best try, if I do the most I can before I die, if, 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 if I. Now the problem with these questioning lines is not actually that you're asking if, but that your if is dependent upon your I. Because if you're trying to provide yourself with an equation that assures you of your salvation and you're trying to use yourself as the standard, the cause, the determinant, the foundation, then all you will ever get out of your internal interrogations to the question, have I finally done enough to receive salvation, will be a resounding negative declaration no, no, you aren't good enough. No, you messed up too much. No, you did not do enough good works. No, you did not prove to God your worth. No, you didn't give it your best try. No, you didn't do enough before you died. If your if is based on your I, then your assurance of salvation will always be denied. And yet, for every single one of us, this is what we've tried to base our salvation on self-evaluation. But all we ever get out of this arrangement is condemnation. That's why you feel lacking, no matter how hard you try, because your if is based on your I. It's why you feel disobedient no matter how often you comply because your if is based on your I. It's why you feel distant like a misfit, like a second-class citizen. It's why you feel empty no matter how much you supply because your if is based on your I. And your I can never measure up to the standard of God on high. And that's not because his standards are awry, but it's because he is perfect and we always fall short of that prize. And so there is always condemnation for those who are in I. But there is good news. There is gospel free to all without price. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So let's make a new condition. Let's 
Let's ask a different why. With the old one gone, let's fly a freshly drawn question mark over each of our lives. Let's ask a new if to replace our if eyes. Let's ask if, if Christ, if Christ was good enough. If Christ loved so much, if Christ died to save his church, if Christ rose to give us his worth, if Christ provided bread of life to eat, if Christ fulfilled the scriptures by crushing death beneath his feet, if Christ performed every good work, sought out those who never searched, died the death we should have died, beat the grave to raise us to life, if, 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 Christ. Now, the joy within these questioning lines is that our if is no longer dependent on something that we supplied. Instead, the if of our salvation is dependent on the one who loved us so much that he was crucified. So... Let's abandon our if eyes and run towards if Christ. Let's move from feeling like I'm condemned to say I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither heights nor depths, not my own faults or mess ups, not my guilt or distrust, nothing can separate me from the love of God because all my ifs Christ answered on the cross. And so we can ask one final if, and with it, all condemnation is crushed. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen. That's what it's about. Jesus on the cross died for all my sin. Past, present, future. I think we ended up right back at the beginning, didn't I? I don't know if I'll be able to go through that. I'll give it a try. There we go. On the cross, two of the words, or actually... To us, it, it was probably just one word, but to us, we have three words. Three words that Jesus said on that cross. It is finished. It is finished. That would have been a, a commercial term used in that, dot, that time as people did business with one another. And one of the meanings to that word was, it is paid in full. Paid in full. Nothing more needs to be done. There is no more that it costs. There is nothing more that needs to be paid for our salvation in the present, any more than the past or the future. Jesus paid it all. Everything that needed to be done for our salvation has already been done, which is part of the reasoning that led us to that truth that said uh, about Romans 8, and that whole courtroom scene that we were set free. But here's the thing with that courtroom scene or even the courtroom scene in a sense today that we think of, it, it falls short. It's just an analogy. Not all analogies is completely accurate in the way we think about it. 
Because here and now, when a judge declares you not guilty, he only has the power to declare you not guilty of what you have done, of your past wrongs. He doesn't have anything other power than to to keep the condemnation coming upon you from what you have done. And that's where we run into trouble, where this whole thing breaks down. Because Jesus has the power to declare us not guilty, not just for our past, but for our present and for our future. We are declared not guilty or made righteous in our standing before the court of heaven. A righteousness that is our standing, which means not just the way we stand on our past, but our present and our future. We have already been declared not guilty, even though technically the final court hearing hasn't happened yet. There is a final judgment that is yet to take place, although that court date has been scheduled for everyone. It is something that is coming. There is no no condemnation because I am righteous before God. Not because of anything I did. Not because I finally got the right behavior that I'm supposed to have. I am righteous before God because of the perfect, sinless, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus, and His righteousness that has been imputed to me, a word is sometimes used, that not just given, imputed almost is, is more than just something that's been given, is something been ascribed or attributed, attributed to me is Christ's righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for the sake... For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that we would become the righteousness. It is his righteousness. So when God looks at me, when he looks at those who are in Christ, he sees us as righteous, as righteous as the sinless Savior because he sees the Savior. Which is why then he can say we're not guilty and there is no condemnation our past, present, and future. Romans 8, chapter 1, we've been going over again and again. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Not just our past, but today. There is no condemnation Sunday. And no matter what happens today, no matter what goes on today, when you wake up tomorrow and you open up your Bibles to Romans 8, 1, it will say, therefore, there is now, Monday, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What voice are we listening to? The problem is, what happens is we get these voices and we think that, well, I I committed a sin. I did something that I shouldn't have done. And we think that, That means we got to go back into jail. But here's the good news that we hear from the good angel. And and understand, this is true, but it's only part of the truth. And that is if you forgive, if you confess your sins, you'll be forgiven. Which means you get out of jail. But it doesn't take too much longer after you're out of that jail that you do something else. And guess what? You're back in. Oh, but then you ask Jesus to forgive you, and you're back out. And then you're in. And then you're out. And then you're in. You're right? Are you with me? 
Hopefully not. Uh, not that sense. We just, we, so we spend even a whole day. That, that for some people, that's your day. It's like, I, God loves me. Now he doesn't love me. God's uh, angry with me. He's going to condemn me. I'm going to hell. Now I'm not. I'm going to heaven. Now I'm hell, heaven, heaven. You know, that's not the way it works. Because we don't get in there because of our behavior. What we do, we get there because of what he has done. And we've got to make that a fact that we hear. To live this Christian life, not in and out of death row. You know, and, and here's the thing. For those who live that way, they just hope to God that they don't die physically when they are in jail with God because then they don't know what would happen. I sinned. A deer pulled out in front of me, swerved, heading towards a tree. You should have heard the swear word I said. Well, actually, you wouldn't know because then I hit the tree and that was it. And now I don't know whether I'm in jail or out of jail. I don't know whether I'm going to heaven or hell. That's not a relationship with your father and his family. Do we understand? I know there are those who cringe at preaching. Too much grace. You know, there's that sense that those who just cringe, ah, you know, this whole, this grace, it's a lot, it's good, but, you know, people will just think if you preach too much grace, they'll think that they just can live however they want then. They're just free to live however they want. And you know what? Some people do. That doesn't mean that they are in Christ in that way, but some people do. But in the same way, it's not necessarily in Christ to then say what we need to do is use legalism to get a sense of fear in people because fear is a great motivator to keep people in line, to keep them into the good Christian line, to do what they are supposed to do as Christians. And what happens is when we put this fear upon Christians, you better do this or else you may not make it in in such a way that they end up being, and we don't give them the rest of the tools. Instead, we just give them this kind of sense upon them that they better keep their salvation, but they end up powerless and helpless to do anything about it because they just keep sinning and then they end up hopeless and what's the point i'm guilty what's the point and continue on as a christian because i just can't do it no you can't you can't be saved you can't get to heaven on your own you can't keep heaven on your own you can't be a christian on your own you can't stay a christian on your own it needs some other voice besides the devil on one shoulder and this good angel on the other you need another voice and that other voice is the holy spirit the holy spirit that in romans chapter 8 out of the 17 verses that we read this morning 16 times the holy spirit is mentioned you need the holy spirit that it talks about this spirit living according to the spirit having our mind set on what the spirit desires the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, nor can it do so. But those, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by a sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Understand, we have a voice. 
there is a voice that we should be listening to. It's not a voice that is on our shoulder, though. It's a voice that lives within us, that dwells within us. The voice of the God of the universe. The voice of the Heavenly Father who loves you with an everlasting love. The voice of Jesus. The voice of God, the Holy Spirit, that lives within us. A voice that is not in conflict as often as we might think with the devil's voice. The voice of the Spirit is more in conflict with the voice of self. The voice of the Spirit has more trouble with ourself than he does with Satan. In fact, just read Romans 8 here. I said 16 out of 17 verses is how many times the Spirit is mentioned. Look at how many times the flesh is mentioned. Almost as many as you think about it. That's where the struggle is. Living by the law of the Spirit helps us to say no to ungodliness, to be right with God. How we do that is being right with God, where He is at, where He wants. Romans 8, verse 4, we did 1, 2, and 3. In verse 4, we read how God and what He did in sending His own Son in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. See, this is how we are. This is what, for those who are in crisis, not how we stay in crisis. I mean, it is. But how we are in Christ Jesus is through living through the voice of the Holy Spirit, a voice that helps us not to live according to the sinful nature, not to say, I'm free to do whatever I want to do now. No, you're finally free to do what God wants. You're finally free to, to live the way you were created to live from the very beginning, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that sounds a lot like the Word of God because these are His words. To listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that does not bring condemnation. If you sense that, that is not from Him. But the Holy Spirit does bring conviction. Condemnation will bring death, but conviction will bring life. Condemnation takes you away from God. Conviction brings you closer to God. Don't make no mistake, the voice of the Holy Spirit will make us uncomfortable. There may be times that we will feel guilty. But it is not a guilt that is condemning or a guilt that that brings us down, but that which brings us up. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse ten talks about this godly sorrow that brings repentance, that leads to salvation, leaves no regret. Who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? For God's voice clearly says to those who are in Christ Jesus, therefore there is now no condemnation. It may be that there are some, we're going to ask the worship team to come. Come on up. It may be that there may be some here today that have not gotten to that point in your life where you can really say you are in Christ Jesus. You believe with your head all these facts, but whether you've had the faith to step across that line and just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. 
I want to receive what you did for me on that cross. Not just your forgiveness, but your righteousness. And today, be the day for you to step across that line to know that, to know there is no condemnation as you're in Christ Jesus. Let's trust you, Lord, as you work even in this song. Holy Spirit, move in us. That we live not a a life that is all about what we do on the outside, but it is what you are doing on the inside of us. Holy Spirit, and it is just coming out as we live by you. Thank you, Jesus.